Tackling the early numbers is vital when betting on the NFL. We're here to help you find the edge with Pinnacle's odds and examine the market moves across the whole season. This is the NFL Opening Line. Welcome to the NFL opening line. I'm your host, Eric Eager, with Ben Brown, both of us from PFF, and we come to you on behalf of Pinnacle Sportsbook to help guide you through the world of the NFL ahead of the 2022-2023 campaign. Um, you know, to get a good gauge on the 2022 campaign, we have to look back, I think, a little bit to the 2021 campaign. Uh, when I uh, hosted this show with James Gregg last year, I gave out a Green Bay Packers future. Uh, after week one, when they got bludgeoned by the Saints, that didn't look particularly good, but they ended up finishing with 13 wins in the NFC's one seed, uh, only to be taken down by the San Francisco 49ers in the divisional round of the playoffs uh, at Lambeau Field in the snow uh, to keep Aaron Rodgers from his second Super Bowl appearance. Uh, ben, looking at how last season ended and the data that we have from last season, what is the team that intrigues you the most coming into uh, the 2022 season. Yeah, definitely. I think I'm going to uh, maybe fade a somewhat popular narrative, but I do think that uh, the Cincinnati Bengals arriving, uh, what I would say, ahead of schedule, basically getting to the Super Bowl last year, uh, giving the Rams basically all they could handle, uh, being you know one, maybe two plays away from actually winning that Super Bowl game. Um, they're a team that you know not very many people are high on. I think they opened up basically right around the fourth shortest odds to win the Super Bowl now up to uh, 12th or 13th. I think a lot of that is uh, things outside of their control. Maybe it's a little bit based on Joe Burrow's, uh, you know, injury type situation. Is he a little bit still banged up or not? Uh, but I think they kind of did uh, everything right from a team building perspective this offseason and kind of shoring up some of their uh, biggest weaknesses, especially along the offensive line, bringing in three new starters, uh, you know, that have, graded really well from a PFF perspective. So I'm buying into it. I don't think there's going to be any sort of like Super Bowl hangover. I think they should be the team to beat in the AFC North. And I think that uh, the maybe not necessarily, uh, you know, getting back to where they were last year could still be a better team that just might not have, you know, a couple of things break their way in order to actually get to the Super Bowl once again. Yeah, I think at the very worst, right? I mean, when you acquire the the talent that they have up front in the offensive line, you get Jesse Bates back, you get Dax Hill in the draft. Um, you know, you're mostly healthy this offseason. I know Burrow and appendectomy, but there, there's a really, I, I think there's a fairly good chance the Bengals will be a better team than they were last year. I think the questions that betters have to ask right. and have to answer is whether that will result in, in better outcomes now that they are in a first place schedule as opposed to a fourth place schedule. Um, when you look at, you know, you talk about the AFC, I think, the AFC is probably the best conference, you know, of the two, I think fairly easily. So I think there's going to be a couple teams in the NFC that make the playoffs that might not even be good teams. Whereas I think in the AFC, every team that's, that comes in is going to be a solid side. Um, when you look at the movements, it's also been a lot of movement from NFC teams to AFC teams. You look at, you know, Russell Wilson goes from Seattle to Denver. Devontae Adams goes from Green Bay uh, to Las Vegas. Von Miller goes from the Los Angeles Rams, at least, you know, second half of the season where he won a Super Bowl to the Super Bowl favorite Buffalo Bills. Um, when you look at player movement this offseason, which one of the player or coach moves uh, has you sort of the most optimistic uh, about the team uh, that that player moved to or coach moved to this offseason? 
Yeah, definitely. I do think, you know, at least from an impact perspective, I do think it's going to be Russell Wilson uh, with Denver. Uh, you know, we're not necessarily too high on them actually kind of being able to figure it out right away, especially in the preseason, given they didn't really do uh, much from, you know, a first team type getting reps perspective. But um, I think once they kind of get, uh, you know, a little bit of the dust off and get everybody in the same room, everyone playing on the same page. Uh, I think the Denver Broncos could be, you know, a legitimate contender maybe in the AFC West, obviously, you know, the most difficult division in the NFL. Uh, but I think that particular player, Russell Wilson going to Denver is going to be the highest impact type uh, play for, for Denver specifically. They kind of seem like they were uh, one of the best rosters in the NFL outside of the quarterback position last year. So actually getting a guy who has been, you know, you know, close to an MVP uh, in a number of years in his career, won a Super Bowl already. Uh, I think that's got to be the most impactful movement. Uh, and another one, you know, I, I know we don't want to talk, you know, or no, we're not talking too much about the NFC, but the fact that, you know, Tom Brady went from retiring to unretiring just based on the fact that the NFC could be so much worse than the AFC, I think speaks to uh, somewhat of the, you know, the differences in strength between the two conferences. And I think, you know, is, is, is kind of a thing for betters to, not only understand, but maybe, uh, you know, grasp and hold on to in the futures market. Cause I do think it's a lot easier to see, you know, a team, uh, mid tier type team that, you know, a lot of people viewed like Cincinnati last year. I think if you're looking for the Cincinnati type of team in 2022, uh, you have to be looking at NFC teams. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and when we look at, the, you know, now that we're in you know, August, we're, we're finishing up August here uh, well, as we record this show. You know, the preseason has come. Obviously, we have the Zach Wilson injury for the Jets. We've had, you know, Dallas, the Dallas Cowboys lose Tyron Smith. Um, you know, some teams play their guys in the preseason. Some teams don't. Is there anything that's happened, you know, this August that has, you know, has you changing your mind about any teams uh, in the NFL right now? Yeah, I do think, like you said, you know, Zach Wilson getting hurt. I also think the Mackay Becton injury for the New York Jets uh, is going to be pretty significant for them as well. So uh, they're a team that, you know, I wanted to buy into. I kind of bought into them a little bit last year. Uh, I do have a little bit of futures on them this year as well. Zach Wilson's a guy that, you know, you know, obviously really well, uh, graded really well at BYU from a PFF perspective. Some of the work you've done in your college pro projections spoke really highly of him coming into the year. And I expected him to, you know, at some point, kind of make uh, a pretty drastic leap from where he was at in his rookie season. But given the injury situation, given the fact that his offensive line, uh, you know, is a little bit in flux, uh, that's a spot that I've definitely backed off of. I do think the other, uh, you know, offensive lineman type injuries, like you mentioned, Tyrone Smith, there's also Ryan Jensen in Tampa Bay. Uh, nobody really knows what's going on with David Dockyardi in Green Bay. He was a guy that I thought was going to come back at some point last year, still really isn't healthy. So I think, you know, some of the teams atop the NFC, specifically Tampa Bay uh, and Green Bay, could be just a little bit more vulnerable than what, uh, you know, the betting market is even priced in. So that makes me look at, you know, some teams that maybe had a little bit better preseason, uh, expecting them to maybe kind of take that next step, get to the playoffs and maybe even make some noise once they get there. Yeah. Oftentimes the preseason is just, uh, you know, getting through without anything negative happening. There's not a whole lot positive that can happen in the preseason, uh, save for maybe a rookie quarterback looking good. And we did see a little bit of that in Pittsburgh, but for the most part, uh, you know, it, it's all about avoiding bad things. Let's look at Pinnacle's outright markets uh, for this season. There are some, you know, obviously this is where you get your long shot opportunities, uh, where you get your opportunities to, uh, you know, you know, take a little bit of money and make a lot of money. 
I want to focus on one that I've been sort of propping up for quite a bit of time here. Um, I want to look at defensive player of the year and I want to look, I want to look to green Bay where Rashawn Gary is currently 20 to one on pinnacle uh, to win defensive player of the year. We were just in Las Vegas, Ben, and we got this at 50 to one at, at a, at a sports book, not quite as sharp as pinnacle sports book right. um, early in the off season, you could have gotten it at 75, um, you know, and, and, you know, I think at any particular book, you're not getting the payoff there. You know, now you're looking at something like a, you know, a little under 5% break, even that's probably not the bet you want to make, but I do think that that shows the example of, you know, why you need to get ahead of these things sometimes, because w- w- once folks start seeing those numbers, uh, you know, sort of move and they, the narratives, you know, drawn to uh, those numbers can be unbettable at a point. Is there anybody in this defensive player of the year market that you like besides Rashawn Gary uh, this season? Yeah, it is interesting because I do think Pinnacle kind of, you know, has has the initial order of their defensive play of the year candidates and the odds that they initially had them listed. Rashawn Gary kind of sticks out like a sore thumb there at plus 2,000 in between guys, uh, you know, like Robert Quinn and Randy Gregory at plus 5,000 and plus 6,000. So they definitely had him priced there uh, at one point, moved pretty dramatically, you know, based on where he's at now. So I I, I don't mind um you know, looking at some of these longer shot guys, but it has been a, uh, an award dominated from, you know, edge type defenders who can generate a lot of sacks, right? And uh, looking at that, um, I think maybe there's a case to be made for a guy like uh, Daniil Hunter. If he is actually back and healthy, uh, you know, he's a guy that's been a high pressure rate types player. Uh, a lot of people are going to, you know, buy into the Vikings here as kind of this, uh, you know, under the radar team that can maybe even get to the Super Bowl with Kirk Cousins playing at the top of his game. Uh, in order to kind of do that, they did, you know, they got Kirk Cousins, I would say, close to his best performance last year, similar with Justin Jefferson, kind of played already at their top end of their range. Uh, but a guy that did it is Daniel Hunter. Maybe he's the differentiator for you uh, if if you actually kind of buy into the Vikings, which uh, maybe I'm a little bit lower on than, you know, some of the the, the betting analysts who are uh, trying to hype them up. But I think if you're going to play them from a certain spot, I do think it's either probably coach of the year or Daniil Hunter to kind of win that defensive player of the year. What, what, do, what do you think? Is there anybody, uh, do you like some of these lower shot odds or is there anybody that maybe is, you know, towards the top or, you know, not necessarily a favorite, but in that mid tier upper range that you kind of like? Yeah, I mean, you're getting Micah Parsons at around 10 to 1. And I I think when you look at, and we wrote this at PFF.com, when you look at the history of the Defensive Player of the Year award, if you throw the Aaron Donald years out of the mix, it's usually a player who played better the year subsequent to the year that he won Defensive Player of the Year. Micah Parsons was a top five defensive player last year and a top linebacker in terms of our PFF wins above replacement metric. Uh, I think sometimes players win the award in year N for the work they did in year N minus one. So that's one where if Parsons blows up, he keeps the Dallas Cowboys in contention in the NFC. He's a guy that I think can really do it. Here's another example of somebody whose odds have moved significantly, and it, and it dovetails on the Vikings, a team you just talked about, where you look at Offensive Player of the Year. Last year, Cooper Cup won Offensive Player of the Year. He's currently around the favorite at 8-1, to one, basically tied with Jonathan Taylor uh, on, on Pinnacle Sports. Justin Jefferson, who kind of opened in that 24 to one range, he's now around, he's plus 1495. So about 15 to one. This number has certainly moved in that direction. And you can understand the narratives, right? You can understand, you know, Kirk Cousins kind of is who he is. 
O'Connell was the offensive coordinator last year in LA when Cooper Cup won the award. Um, the NFC is weak, so you can get you know the Vikings you know to a ten or eleven wins without much of an improvement in the overall team. And Jefferson, you know, has basically in the first two years of his career has more receiving yards than anybody in league history. What do you think of that award being mostly a non-quarterback award? And there are quarterbacks in the offering listed, mostly yeah. a non-quarterback award. Jefferson moving up the ranks. Who do you like in lieu of Jefferson now that he's probably not at a bettable number? Yeah, I think it's Stefan Diggs, right? I definitely think if you buy into, you know, Buffalo living up to the hype as being, uh, you know, the best option to bet for the Super Bowl right now or the shortest odds, basically, uh, I think they have to get there with Stefan Diggs uh, being sort of this Cooper Cup-esque uh, type wide receiver for them in 2022. Obviously, everybody wants the Gabriel Davis breakout to happen, uh, is going to be, you know, a red zone type threat and can win over the top. But I think in a high volume passing offense, Stefan Diggs go for, you know, 160 plus receptions uh, and kind of get close to uh, the numbers that Cooper Cup put up last year if, you know, Josh Allen is in the fold in every single game. So I like him at, you know, a 40 to one shot to potentially take this award. I do think that he's going to have the volume. He is, you know, a top five type wide receiver. And I think, you know, given the right context of how well this offense could actually be, uh, he could put up some ungodly numbers. So at 40 to one, uh, I, I think Stefan Diggs is probably the correct play from my, from my perspective. 160 catches is a lot. Um, we have Diggs projected right around 104. But yeah, you look at a little bit of variance there. That would be near or above the NFL record. But, you know, Buffalo is one of those teams that's going to throw a lot. And the NFC, sorry, the AFC is not a is not a cakewalk, right? This Buffalo team is going to have yeah. to win football games to get the one seed. They're not going to be able to go through the season the way they did last year and only come out of it with the three seed and face a team like Kansas City on the road because we know what ha happens sort of in those situations. Let's look at one more of these sort of awards markets. Let's look at MVP. I got to tell you, Ben, I am betting a narrative here. Everybody is talking mess about Patrick Mahomes. Everybody is talking about how, oh, he's the only the eighth best player. He, uh, you know, Tua Tungavailoa is saying, oh, you know, two, uh, or Tyree Kill is saying Tua Tungavailoa is more accurate than he is. Uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling even said, you know, that his former quarterback, Aaron Rodgers, is the best quarterback he's ever seen. Patrick Mahomes at, you know, plus 874 on Pinnacle, 9 to 1 or so. That, to me, is scorched earth Patrick Mahomes. Tough schedule as well. Early season schedule has a lot of games either at 4 p.m. Eastern or in prime time. It's a narrative-driven award, an award he's won before but not for a while. Uh, he's three straight years without winning the award. I think Patrick Mahomes is right. the MVP of the league this year. And and you're probably not going to get better than this number if it were, if the narratives drive you know, the early season winning for him, let's say the early that's going to drive him to the favorite relatively quickly. Yeah, definitely. I agree with you. I do think there, you know, the, the narrative is maybe not necessarily overstay right now, but I do think that it makes a lot of sense given the performance that we saw from him in the preseason, right? Obviously, obviously there's, uh, you know, the chip on his shoulder type aspect. Can he do it with like, out Tyreek Hill, you know, winning over the top and underneath, you know, has Travis Kelsey lost a step? I do think if, if, if the Chiefs end up winning the AFC West, uh, no matter what happens outside of Kansas City, Patrick Holmes has to be the favorite to win the MVP at that point in time. Uh, I do think the narratives will kind of line up with it as well. Um, and I, I like it quite a bit. I honestly don't really love taking 
you know, the close to favorite, I would say, in these multi-way markets. But uh, if, if, if I was going to do it in any market, it would be Patrick Holmes to win MVP. I do think I got to get your uh, question or I got to get your thoughts on one other candidate potentially for this MVP race. And I do think, you know, the Jacksonville Jaguars were a team that I wanted to buy into this year. Right. I think they had the most cap space coming up here in free agency didn't necessarily spend it as or allocate it like I would have in a lot of scenarios did go up there and, you know, kind of try and get, you know, number one type wide receivers for Trevor Lawrence paid up for a lot of guys, especially Christian Kirk. But I think Trevor Lawrence at, you know, over 50 to one odds to win MVP, they could easily win uh, a pretty weak AFC South division. If they do, uh, I, I, I don't see any reason why he being this quote unquote type generational talent, doesn't win MVP at some point in his career. Why not year two, making a pretty dramatic leap from where he was at in year one? Do you think that's worth uh, maybe a little bit of a sprinkle on Trevor Lawrence to win MVP or not? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you opened above, you know, 80 to one or so. Uh, so that's been bet down. I think all of the people look at, you know, the season Carson Wentz had in year two with Doug Peterson. Um, and, and that was a weak right. NFC East at the time. This is a weak AFC South. I, you know, we talked to somebody who I know who uh, works for one of the other AFC South teams. And when I asked him how his team looked, he said, I like our division. Uh, so if you're the Jags, you got to like your division. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't mind that at all. I think that there's a, a significant chance uh, that that he has a great year. And if the Jaguars play great football, he's going to be the one I think that gets a lot of the credit being uh, a player that we all scouted well uh, coming out of out of Clemson. So uh, very good question there. I think a very uh, good um, example of something that, uh, you know, can uh, you know, where you can you know sort of have a little bit of a sweat. You don't have to bet the games. Uh, you know, minus 110 or a pinnacle minus 105 or so, um, and, and still, you know, sort of buy into the league. But let's talk sides and totals here for week one of the 2022 season. We obviously open up with Buffalo here, minus two and a half, uh, minus 101 uh, at Los Angeles against the super, defending Super Bowl champion Los Angeles Rams. Total on the game is 53. Some sharp bettors have bet over this uh, already, um, even though the number had like drifted a little bit. Uh, downward with with Matthew Stafford's elbow uh, injury. We've all also seen like just as we're talking right now, a little bit of movement towards the Rams at plus two and a half. Um, this opened Rams minus one, basically around a pick them. And now it's moved a little bit towards Buffalo. I know the listeners to the show know better than to think that that is a full you know, you know, it, 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 not all points are worth the same. So moving from plus one to minus two and a half isn't a huge move, um, but it does signify a little bit of something. Our models don't really have a play on this game, but I do just want to get your ideas of what this game uh, entails on the opening Thursday night, uh, you know, September 8th uh, in Los Angeles, Ben. Yeah, it is interesting. Our, like you said, our models don't necessarily have a play on this game at minus two and a half, but I do think if you fold in uh, the pinnacle price at plus 104, Buffalo has some value, right? And I do think that makes sense, you know, given what we've seen in the preseason. Obviously, everything is pointed in the right direction for Buffalo. I do think the Von Miller signing uh, kind of, uh, you know, puts the final piece in place for a defense that could be really good once they get Stavius White back. He's not going to be in this particular game. So maybe that's, you know, the one weak spot with their, you know, first round draft pick, Hayer Elam, uh, kind of needing to step up in this particular matchup. But uh, I think we see that happen. And I do think that we see the Rams potentially start off a little bit slow. Uh, so I like Buffalo minus two and a half. I think they're going to, 
you know, silence the few doubters that they have left, basically. And I think they're going to show why they are, you know, uh, the shortest odds to win the Super Bowl on this Thursday night matchup. So give me Buffalo minus two and a half plus 104 price. Uh, I, I like that play quite a bit, actually. Yeah. OK, let's move to a few games that we like here. Um, let's start in the AFC East. Uh, New England Patriots are getting three uh, in Miami uh, against the Dolphins. The Patriots have lost. Uh, three consecutive games against the Dolphins. All those games have been started by Tua Tungabailoa. All the Dolphins fans in the world will tell you uh, that Tua is 3-0 and against Bill Belichick. Uh, the Dolphins, you know, have a win total of around nine or so right now. Um, despite the fact they won nine games last year, they were a below 500 team. If you look at Pythagorean, you also look at the games that they actually won against who they who they beat. They're much more of like fundamentally last year, a six or seven win team. New England won 10 games last year. Uh, they go to the playoffs. They get they get hammered by Buffalo. I think they got worse this offseason. So long term. I don't necessarily know if I'm bullish at all on the New England Patriots, but I think week one, getting an entire field goal in a, in a, in a game where you're betting against a lot of narratives, you're betting against the Tua undefeated against Belichick narrative. You're betting against the Belichick's team struggle in Miami narrative, which are all have all happened. Like those things happen. But the question is, is do they carry any weight? I kind of like new England getting three minus one Oh five on pinnacle, uh, you know, uh, opening opening weekend against the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, definitely. I did like this as a you know you know a teaser play when it first opened up for New England to basically go from plus two and a half up to eight and a half. Uh, uh, the, and the line kind of moved up to plus three now, so you don't necessarily have to do that. But I'm in agreement with you. I think you know I've been lower on the New England Patriots for the past couple seasons than the betting market has. I think I'm once again kind of heading into the season with that expectation. Uh, and this might be the only spot that I back them uh, all year. But uh, I think there's way too many narratives which have shifted the line too dramatically to the point where there's no other play besides New England Patriots plus three. So I like it as well. Um, you know the the one concern based basically is, you know, what everyone's talking about now, the offensive coordinator position in New England. What's happening with that? Can we really trust Matt, Matt Patricia or Joe Judge? I'm not quite sure. I do think it's probably going to have some negative impacts on Mac Jones' development. Uh, but I think in week one, in this particular matchup, uh, the game is going to play tight enough to the point where the New England Patriots should be able to cover, you know, plus three on the road, in my opinion. Yeah, okay, let's move to um, another game. This one, again, is a, is a three-point spread, but this time I think we like the favorites here. The Jacksonville Jaguars, who were the, you know, the whose defeat of the Indianapolis Colts are the reason why they're facing Carson Wentz now as a member of the Washington Commanders and not twice as a member of the Indianapolis Colts within the division. They're three-point underdogs on the road in Washington, the first ever game for the Washington Commanders. Um, this moved down from three and a half, and I get it. We just talked about, you know, all the narratives with Trevor Lawrence and and what he could provide. I, however, think, you know, we've seen a bad preseason from Carson Wentz for the most part. Um, but we saw kind of a bad, like, early, I know he was injured, but we saw sort of a bad August for him last year in Indianapolis. And that team started out okay. I actually like the commanders laying three at home against the Jaguars uh, in the nation's capital. What do you think, Ben? Yeah, I mean, now that the number's on three, uh, I don't, I don't hate Washington's spot that I don't, I don't really want to bet. I do want to probably learn a little bit more about both these teams before wagering any actual money on it. Uh, I do think the one spot to bet if you are going to is Washington because uh, the numbers just move too dramatically in Jacksonville's favor and favor to the point where there's just no value on them at the current price. But uh, if I was, if I was forced to bet, I would maybe, uh, maybe 
maybe lean towards, you know, a few more points being scored in this particular match than what the betting market projects at 44 um, or Pentacle projects at 44. But right now it's, it's, it's just actually the Pentacle's at 43 and a half, uh, you know, minus 110 on the over. So maybe that will be uh, the one spot I really want to back. So I do think we're going to see uh, a little bit better offense with, you know, no Chase Young, uh, Jacksonville, uh, you know, still kind of trying to break in everybody along that defensive front. So I think uh, give me the over 43 and a half. I think it's probably the best bet from my perspective. Very good. Very good. And in your or both of our hometown uh, of, of Minneapolis, Minnesota, we are going to see one of the biggest rivalries in the National Football League. The Green Bay Packers, who opened one and a half point favorites in this game are now minus two minus 101 so really no movement there a lot of the rest of the market is painted at minus two and a half uh, minus 121 on the money line the Packers coming off of their third consecutive 13 win season go on the road to face a Vikings team who's 15 and 18 the last two years however have not lost a game that Kirk Cousins has started by more than one score uh, since Christmas Day of 2020 so a team that I think were the record last year is a little bit misleading but at the same time, they didn't make a ton of improvements. They bring Kirk Cousins back. They they changed coaching staffs and general managers. But I don't think the roster is all that much more improved. Green Bay, though, loses their probably their best player in Devontae Adams, Ben. I think we'll lay with Green Bay here at minus two. But what do you think? Yeah, I'm, I'm in agreement with you. I think anything before three uh, makes a lot of sense from Green Bay's perspective. We have seen, you know, team team mentality shift from, you know, needing the dominant number one type wide receiver to, you know, a, a, a conglomerate of, you know, two, two A, two B type receivers are probably good enough for a star level quarterback in Aaron Rodgers. I think that definitely plays out, especially given, uh, you know, some of the, some of the situations with, you know, the Vikings secondary specifically getting older at a number of spots. Um, so I uh, really old at a number of spots. So I like green Bay here. Uh, maybe there's a play on the total. I don't really think, um, you know, I don't really think we're going to see much defense in this particular matchup. Uh, like you said, like I said, you know, the Vikings defense, especially with Patrick Pierce and Harrison Smith, I think they're going to struggle, especially early on in the season. So over 48 uh, with a Vikings team that needs to keep pace with a high octane Packers offense. That's the spot that I like quite a bit. Um, but yeah, I, I would take, I would take the Packers uh, and the over 48, maybe some sort of parlay or something. I think it's maybe the best bet you can make in this particular match. What do, what do you got for this one? Very interesting. Yeah. I, I don't mind over, you know, you've seen it kind of ping pong around uh, 48 and a half, 48, um, you know, so make sure that you, you know, make sure that you're getting the best number there. Um, the Vikings defense is not going to be very good. I think the Packers defense is going to be really good. Um, so if you like the over, you mean you, you believe that the Vikings offense with Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen and the newly acquired Jalen Rager and the an offensive line that hopefully is better can best a Green Bay defense that while young and not necessarily experienced together should be really good. Um, if you believe that, you know, the Green Bay defense is going to be good right away, um, then I don't know if you should look at over. I think you should look at, you know, Packers minus two. Um, last but not least, let's look at a game. Again, this is an interesting one. This is one where, um, you know, home field advantage is misleading. The Las Vegas Raiders, total of 52 and a half, go and are getting three and a half in Los Angeles against the Chargers. This was a rematch of a week 18 game that almost ended in a tie that almost put both teams in the playoffs, but ended up kicking the Los Angeles Chargers out of the playoffs um, in overtime. The, the Raiders get Devontae Adams. The Raiders get Chandler Jones. Uh, you know, they've 
they're a pretty solid team, right? And, you know, they went 10 and seven last year. They had a point differential, though, of a much weaker team, more like a seven win team. The Chargers were a much better team, even though they lost that last game. But, you know, the spread on the week 18 game was minus three for the Chargers on the road. And I think a lot of people are going to say, okay, but you got to flip that with home field advantage. No, no. The Raiders from the early 80s until 1994 were in Los Angeles as the Los Angeles Raiders. They've been in Los Angeles longer than the Chargers have. Um, a lot of people that that are going to go to this game are going to be Oakland, Los Angeles, Las Vegas Raiders fans. So I don't think home field advantage right. is really a thing. And so this is basically looking and saying, okay, since last year, right? And remember, in the offseason, everything regresses to the mean, no matter how much better you get that the Chargers have gotten a half point better than the Raiders. I just don't think that that's the case. I I, I don't like the Raiders long-term this year, but I do think I'm going to like them in week one. I'm going to take three and a half with the Las Vegas Raiders. Yeah, I mean, so this is, the Raiders are weird, right? Because obviously really tough division, uh, got better. Uh, maybe some people would say significantly better, uh, especially on offense, uh, given the Devontae Adams trade. Um, and, and, and we have them basically, you know, the, the betting market, when you kind of take the spreads and totals that are upcoming here in 2022, you can kind of build out these power rankings. Uh, and, and the betting market seems to price them as maybe like the 11th best team in the NFL, which is really good, right? We have them, uh, you know, overall uh, 13th best offense, ninth best defense. So kind of fits in line with those power rankings as well. Uh, it's just more so how good can they be facing, you know, off against, you know, t- week in and week out some of the best teams in the NFL. Um, I think if you are going to buy into the Raiders, this is definitely the best spot to do it early on in the season uh, before things kind of get up and running. But uh, I think now the Chargers ship has kind of maybe gotten a little bit out of hand. There's basically like no downside expectation for them whatsoever for a team that, you know, didn't even make the playoffs last year. Right. And I think everyone believes that Justin Herbert is going to be a top three, top five quarterback year in and year out. Uh, but some of those ranges could potentially slip down just a little bit further. And maybe he is, you know, the best quarterback in the NFL in certain stretches of his career. Uh, but that still doesn't mean that, you know, a top eight or top 10 finish only uh, couldn't derail the Los Angeles Chargers playoff chances. So uh, I'm in agreement with you, a plus three and a half, probably just a little bit overstated for, uh, you know, how good this Raiders team actually is. And I do think it's probably the only playable you know spot on this particular matchup here yeah and we make the number about 2.9 which you know as nfl fans know even with a big total in that game you know three is worth you know anywhere depending upon the total you know seven eight nine percent so you know you're hopping over there you're getting significant value when you get that hook let's move on to college football ben um we'll talk about futures in a second week one is a ton of games i want to talk about Two games. I want to talk about one game that signifies where we are as a sport in college football, and that's the fifth-rated Notre Dame Fighting Irish going on the road, plus 17.5 against the second-rated Ohio State Buckeyes. Does this not signify how top-heavy college football is? The fifth-rated team in the country is is three-score underdog to an Ohio State team that is only three spots ahead of them in the rankings. Yeah, it's, it's wild, right? I mean, it, it definitely speaks to the state of college football. It definitely speaks to how much separation there is between the top three teams and everybody else. Uh, and you can kind of look at, you know, the futures price for these teams to, you know, make the playoffs and those sorts of things, both, uh, you know, Ohio State uh, and Georgia and Alabama, basically all minus price to get into the playoffs based on our simulation expectation. And then there's a conglomerate of teams that 
we just have no idea if they're actually going to be good. Even if they are good, can they actually beat one of these top three teams uh, in a playoff type atmosphere? We'll find out where Notre Dame actually lies, but I think 17 uh, is actually a pretty safe number. I think it even moved down a little bit from, you know, uh, 17 and a half up to 17. Uh, and I think at that price, uh, there's no way that I'm backing Notre Dame here. Yeah, absolutely. And and lastly, this is just one game I like, but it, I think it features, you know, the the novelty that is college football. The Army Black Knights go to Coastal Carolina and face the, the Chanticleers. The Chanticleers, one Your of our Chanticleers. favorite teams. Your Chanticleers. Uh, the Chants are laying minus two. It was two and a half some places. I think you want to go with the Chanticleers here. Uh, Grayson McCall, you know, again, both of these teams kind of run an option, but they run it in different ways. The Coastal Carolina is more spread out and athletic. Uh, obviously, Army is more of a, you know, sort of ground and pounded. The total of 53, that's pretty big for an Army game. It's pretty low for a Coastal Carolina game. I, I just find this novelty game to be be so uh, fun. And that's one where, you know, for the road, for the listeners, that's one I would back. I do want to lastly talk about the futures market in college football. Again, like I said, you know, top five teams, you know, you have Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson, and then Notre Dame. When you look at the, the, the odds to win the college football playoff, Alabama is a little under two to one. Georgia is about seven to two. Ohio state's about four to one. And then you have Clemson at 11 to one and everybody else, you know, USC is I think way too overvalued at plus 1893 on pinnacle. Um, Is there a bet to make here uh, if in this futures market and you know, that has value uh, for this upcoming year? I think Georgia to make the playoffs, especially if you can get it right around, you know, minus 115 price or so. I think that makes a lot of sense. Obviously, we have seen, uh, you know, a number of times where two SEC teams have gotten into the college football playoff. I think that's, you know, essentially got to be the expectation once again this year. So uh, even if they lose, uh, I do think that Georgia is probably going to get in. So uh, I like that bet quite a bit. There are, you know, a few under the radar type win totals, like we mentioned earlier, Coastal Carolina. Uh, if you can find like an over 9.5 win total, I think that's one of the best bets, uh, according to PFF simulation as well, a uh, spot that I can definitely get involved with. Um, and then we'll see. I think, you know, looking at it from the other side, uh, you know, Massachusetts has been one of the worst teams in, you know, college football based in the past five or 10 years or something. 3.5 win total. I want the under in that one as well. Love that. Love that. Well, this has been a, a fun first show, Ben. Um, I, I can't wait to do this, you know, uh, bi-weekly uh, throughout the season. Um, but uh, until then, we're at Pinnacle on Twitter. We're at Pinnacle Podcast to follow and keep up to date on all the latest offerings on Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Uh, please keep across Pinnacle betting resources page for the latest betting insights, including Mark Taylor's game of the week, um, plus Ben's ultimate NFL betting guide. I'm at PFF underscore Eric on Twitter. This is PFF underscore Ben Brown on Twitter. Odds are correct as of the time of this recording. Please gamble responsibly uh, and, and stay classy uh, and have a good one. Uh, for Ben Brown, this is Eric Eager, uh, and this has been the Pinnacle NFL Preview Show.